Would you join me this morning as we turn to God's Word, Isaiah chapter 6, and we're reading from verse 1 through to verse 8. The caption title in my Bible says, A Vision of God in the Temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Let us pray. Father, as we prepare to share at your son's table, we acknowledge our deep need for a vision of you that is often not sought after a vision of the true God who is wholly other, whose sheer presence is so voluminous that it fills the entire temple. The seraphs acclaim that your glory extends throughout your creation. In a season of life in which we have been overwhelmed by the greatness of the challenges around us, We are in search of a vision of you that reminds us of who you are amidst all that we face, a vision that Isaiah had that says this is the holy God. This is the God whose glory fills all of creation. This is the God whom Scripture defines as the beginning and the end. Above him there is no more greater. He is the one that is worthy not only of our praise but the hope for life as we find it. May now, as we come to this table, we come with reverence and open hearts and minds. May you humble us. May we respond to your holy presence with confession and hearts that desire to again worship you as these seraphs show us. 
as the God who you truly are. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. In the year that the king Uzziah died, it is more than just a chronological date in Scripture. It is a time of endings. The king was one of the great kings of Judah. In fact, he reigned for what Scripture would tell us for 52 years longer than any other king of the southern kingdom. He helped Judah, the people of God, flourish economically, agriculturally, and politically. And early on in his reign, this king had a deep dependence and a deep desire to follow the will of God, consulting prophets like Zechariah, helping him to maintain his focus on the things of God. However, Hosea soon began moving away from God's will. After defeating and protecting the people from their immediate enemies, such as the Philistines, he began expanding his territory through military conquest, moving beyond the boundaries and the scope of that which God had given him and his people. Perhaps it's fair to say that Isaiah's vision moved from serving God and the people to serving his own desire for expansion and conquest. But the proverbial nail in the coffin for the king came when he tries to assume the responsibility of Judah's priests, and he is struck down. He is blighted by leprosy which slowly eats away at him until he would die. The demise of the king mirrors the demise of the people of God. In fact, in uh, chapter 3 of this text, this prophetic word, we read, Jerusalem staggers, Judah is falling, their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. It was a dire time. The end of King Uzziah's reign was a time in which the people themselves have lost their places. Uzziah, when he took these pagan, pagan regions, would not destroy their altars, and the people would worship at the temple and then also at the temples or the altars of pagan gods. What is more? It was a time defined by the people forgetting who they were called to be. They stopped caring for the orphan and the widow in their midst, and they used not only their calling as God's people, but their worship to validate the oppression of the least of these and to quiet the voices of those crying out for hope. Dr. Levi Jones, in his commentary on this passage, says God has been replaced by the people and its leaders, and instead of the true God, they are worshiping the gods of conquest and war, of money and of pleasure. All of this converged into a perfect storm with the Assyrian threat to take the people down growing. 
You see, the year that Uzziah died was a significant year. It was a year that the people's leaders were failing and the growing threat of instability and conquest was upon them. It was a time in which the death of the king was met with anxiety, fear for the future, the once held confidence diminishing and the reality of what is to come dawning upon all. I was thinking about this text and thinking about endings in our own lives. Seasons where we too perhaps feel overwhelmed by that which is happening, that which is beyond us, but perhaps even as we can relate to the people of God, the failures that we experience, that we bring upon ourselves. A place perhaps where hope seems gone. But it is in this year and in the circumstance that Uzziah, who died, God shows up to the prophet Isaiah in the temple. And God gives a vision to confront a bleak reality and an even grimmer future. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up and the hem of his robe filled the temple. God's presence was so voluminous, so glorious, so much that it filled every inch of the temple. It is almost as if Isaiah is saying, there's no room here for any other God but the true and living God. Where Israel and Judah failed and worshipped at the altars of pagan realities and deities, the God that Isaiah prophesies about and who he beholds is so great that his hymn fills every square inch of the temple of God. It is an awesome vision, one that leaves no room for any other God than the holy God of Israel himself, one that by its implication sanctifies that which has been desecrated, one that shows us this incredible God and Isaiah, as we would be, are overcome by this reality. But in the presence of this holy God who reveals himself to Isaiah at a time where hope was fading, We don't only see who he is, but we see what it looks like to return to the worship of the true and living God. And it is given to us through these seraphs, these these divine creatures who, who are described as flying, fiery, heavenly beings. They respond in acknowledgement and worship of the true and living God, and they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. It is said that this vision that Isaiah has in the temple would become the tone for or set the tone for his prophetic ministry, a ministry that was born out of the vision of God's holiness. Holiness repeatedly shows up in in Isaiah's vocabulary and in his ministry. What he beheld in this temple became the very foundation and the very confidence with which he proclaimed the hope of God. 
But not only do these seraphs worship by acknowledging the holiness of God, they state unequivocally, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Just in case Isaiah thinks that God is limited to the temple, he is shown a vision of a God whose holiness transcends the holy place, fills the entire temple, but reaches out beyond it to every part of his created world. What a vision. What a vision. I have often thought about this particular experience of Isaiah very personally and thought about what it would mean to apprehend God in such a provocative, such an enormous, such a significant way. What it would mean to come into the presence of the Holy One in such a way that I am reminded of how small I am in comparison to how great He is. I have prayed, dear God, may I apprehend more of who you are so that it would put me in the right place. That it would remind me that I am not God. That it would remind me of my utter sinfulness and my utter need of your gracious mercy and forgiveness. That it would challenge me so much so that whatever I consider to be big, whatever I consider to be oppressive, whatever I consider to be larger than life itself, whatever sin it is that I have been uh, uh, complicit to in both what I've done and what I have not done, but to have an apprehension of the God of holiness in such a way that it would humble me as it did. Isaiah and to respond as Isaiah did woe is me who am I in the face of a God that is so great who am I in the face of a God that is so holy I don't know if you've ever prayed this But I think the church needs to pray this prayer in this season that we would continue to learn to trust in a God that is greater than we've made him, that we would discern who he is, that his presence would flood our worship and our lives so that we would stand in awe of who he is and see not only his holiness, but that his power extends to every part of creation and our only right response is to fall in humility before him as his creation, trusting and hoping for his mercy and his grace. Oh, that God would give us the vision of Isaiah in such a time where perhaps around us the world seems bleak and the future uncertain. It is this vision in the temple of the holy God whose glory fills the earth that brings the prophet to a recognition and acknowledgement of his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. This morning I wonder whether at the end, all God's people says amen, at the end of the season, this pandemic, We too are in need of an encounter with the holy God. A vision that reminds us, as it did Isaiah and the people of God, of just who he is. I wonder if we have made him too small. 
I wonder if what we need in this season is a revelation of the greatness of God that would put us in the place of hope because our hope is not in anything. It's, you know, I, I, I got to say to you, I thank God that we are on the, on the way to the end of this thing, but I also know we live in a world that is fragile and broken. The pandemic showed us that we are not in control of our own destinies or economies. This pandemic has showed us our creatureliness, our limitations, but it also has become the place where we can behold the God that Isaiah sees in the temple. The God that has overcome Satan's sin and death through Jesus Christ. The God whose presence is holy. And one who brings his people to a place of recognition a place of confession, a place of repentance. The vision of God in the temple, high and lifted up, prefigures the vision of God in Jesus Christ, who on the cross is lifted up. The very holy God whose presence is so magnificent that Isaiah, this great prophet, this great man of God, would see his own shortcomings. is revealed in and through the person of Jesus Christ, who is holy, who is worthy of receiving all praise and all glory and all honor, but whose holiness compels him to invite us back, whose holiness does not keep this God of creation far from us, but opens a way for us to worship Him, to know Him. The God who is holy as Isaiah encounters is the God who is holy in Christ who comes low to be with us. I don't think we appreciate Jesus Christ enough unless we really wrestle with who he is. <laughs> I want to say this, and, 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 and I hope Bible scholars out there would, would see that this is a legitimate way to say this. But the same holy God that is attested in the temple by Isaiah is the very same holy God who humbly goes to the cross. And says there that I know you cannot be who God wants you to be. But I will be what you need so that you may be what you cannot be without God. This table this morning is a holy table. A table that presents us with a God that is so great and yet longs to sit with you and me. I think that I could probably end the sermon or this little devotional thought or whatever it's become. I don't know what it is anymore. And say to you that there are some of us who may respond to the woe of the holiness of God with a sense of wanting to hide Maybe we have limited who God is. Maybe there's things we've said and done in this season that has not been of him. Maybe we have uh, 
we have failed to live according to his purpose and to his plan. But in the words that only the New Testament can offer us, we see a God who in Jesus is in the very nature of God, but became like us so that we may become like him. And this morning as uh, I think about the table, I think of it in a, in a way that both speaks to the greatness of God, but also to the way in which he makes us his own. Perhaps one of our greatest failures as God's people is not only that we have failed to acknowledge the great holiness of God and to worship him accordingly, but that when we do become aware of our sin, we fail to believe that he has made a place for even the sinner at his table. Maybe this morning, as we get ready to participate in the Lord's Supper, some of us need to be reminded of the grace that is there for us, pardoning, a grace that, like the burning coal cleansed Isaiah, is presented to us in Christ, who cleanses us and forgives us. Maybe there's some of us who just needed to hear today that, Stu, you know, the, 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 the challenge before me is big. The, the, the burdens I carry are significant. I just need a bigger God that I've made him out to be. I need to just stand in his presence and recognize that he's more than I need. And so I want to invite you to, as you now gather your elements of bread and wine, to pray with me. I want to lead us in a different way. I want to lead us in prayers that are confessional. And after I'm done leading us, our worship team is going to come and lead us in our benediction. But would you enter in into this time and prepare your heart to receive the grace and to stand in the holy presence of our Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross, you let your body be broken and your blood shed. So often we are tempted to celebrate this act of communion, but fail to respond to your love in ways that bring glory and honor to your name. Sometimes we go through the motions with the bread and the cup. Other times we think your gift is given only to us rather than extended to everyone, everywhere. Some of us this morning, after hearing about this vision of Isaiah, may feel that we are not worthy to come to the table because we don't deserve your grace. Or perhaps there's some of us who pretend that we are so good that we really are not like others and not in need of grace. But today I pray that honesty 
would lead us to humility and confession. That we would receive these elements as the gifts of a holy God to save, renew, and strengthen his people that they may be who he's called them to be. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. Eat and drink and give God thanks for his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and his spirit. Amen. Father, now as we sing together one last time, we thank you for who you are amidst all of life. May your grace extend not only to us, but through us to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.